the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 459 <laughs> for Sunday, July 21st, 2013. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share the cool stuff found. We share your tips. We share your questions. And we answer them as best we can. And together, we all try to learn a little something new about the Mac, Apple, and life in general here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where it does not look like it's going to be a scorcher. It's actually cooled off a bit. Uh, this is John F. Braun. Well, that's good, John. I'm glad it's not scorching you down there. That didn't sound right. Uh, so, uh, and we'll say hello what? to the chat room. Uh, because Kenny in the chat room, sorry, Kiwi Graham in the chat room just uh, pointed out that our show number uh, is a math problem that solves itself. Four plus five equals nine. Greetings, folks, in the chat room, too. It's a pleasure to have everyone here. It's a pleasure to have you here at home or in your car or uh, or wherever you've chosen to uh, cue us up and press play. We appreciate it. It's what we do. I, I hear public transport is a big favorite, too. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose that's good. Yes. Uh, public transport. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Sorry. I'm catching up here. It's it's uh, how it goes. Yeah. Public transport. Great place. To right, are we in sync? Or? Mowing your lawn, uh, you know, cleaning grout, as uh, Allison Sheridan uh, often tells us that she loves to do while listening to Mac Geek Cab. There's all kinds of great things. Uh, speaking of great things, Bruce sent in something and we just couldn't bear to wait until the next Cool Stuff Found show because this is cool. So we'll share it because Bruce found it. Bruce says, uh, hi, Dave, I remember you mentioning in the past that you'd written a script to monitor the WWDC page to note when it changed so you could hopefully buy a ticket. Here's a free program that looks to do the same. Yet another item for cool stuff found. And indeed, it's called Changes Meter and uh, it is available for free. You can check it out. It is from IntuiWare.com. Uh, and uh, you can donate to them if you like to use it. But it's cool. You just put in all your. Uh, URLs and it will change it. You know, check them uh, as you tell it to in the background. And then when it changes, it can send you an alert or, you know, do whatever, uh, whatever you might like it to do. So there you go. Awesome stuff. I love cool stuff like this. It's, it's part of why we do what we do. Cause we like finding, uh, you know, finding this cool stuff. Right, John. I don't like change. I know. No. Well, this and this, like change. this will tell you changes. <laughs> changes scary. <laughs> so this will prepare you. But no, it's great because Dave, I think you actually in the past had uh, written. You had rolled your own. I did for, roll my um, own. Yeah. Doing the Here, same sort of thing, I guess. The the one activity where where people need to do this, and I think you did, Dave, is when do the WWDC tickets go on sale? And you either have to be really into the Twitter world. That's true. And, trust whoever says they're on sale right. <laughs> and that they are. And then, then there's the dog pile right. or perhaps you could write a script to check the page and say, Hey, has anything changed? Oh, if something has changed, maybe 
event, whatever has occurred. Now, not always. Sometimes they may make a you know superficial change and it doesn't mean that the tickets are on sale. But yes. And whatever. there are many minor little changes that happen to the WWDC page. I can tell you from personal experience because my script was uh, it, it needed a lot of tweaking when I first rolled it. And of course, it also needed to be tweaked because if it couldn't reach the page or if the page was inaccessible, I would get two notifications, one when it wasn't accessible and then one when it was again. And that, of course, wasn't helpful either. I just wanted it to check and see if it had changed in a significant way. So I had to use I use CRC, John. I used all kinds of stuff. It was cool. But uh, but now it's you know, it's no, it's a smart way to do it. Yeah. I but it so. sounds like they, uh, yeah, looking at the overview for this, they say, you know, we can give you a threshold where you say, okay, something really important has happened. It's not just a teeny little thing. Yeah. So it sounds like they embrace that, which is, uh, that's how it should be, which is good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, you know, one thing, and this happens to all of us. And, and so I will share this tip because I think it's good, but I will also share it. Uh, in the spirit of encouraging you to think about the things that you do every day that you don't even realize are cool or saving you time or anything like that. And this is not a, a cool stuff found show. We're just starting off with some tips that we've we've uh, sort of accumulated here uh, and then we'll get into some questions. But uh, but one thing that I use all the time these days is Google Docs. And uh, because of that, I have a ton of shared folders. I have one for Mac Geekab that John and I share and uh, one for Backbeat Media and one for the Mac Observer and, you know, all kinds of different documents. And so there's there's an archive of stuff that's out there. But then there's maybe the dozen or so documents that I am actively working on at any given point in time. And uh, that got to be sort of cumbersome to dig into these different shared folders because, you know, I've got one that, like I said, I share with different people. And so what I did was I started using Google Drives. I said Google Docs, didn't I? It's called Google Drive now. Uh, I started using Google Drives uh, starred documents feature. And so you just go and it's right there in their little columns. You just highlight those documents with stars. And then on the left side of the screen in the browser, uh, there is a starred link and you can go and it shows you all your starred documents from all of your subfolders in one view. And I found it so handy that I actually saved a link to my toolbar from or to my uh, browser bar. Sorry. Uh, that brings me to the starred page. So that is my homepage for Google Docs. Now, of course, I have all my other folders in my my drive on the side and I can navigate to those if I want. But it makes it super handy. And John, you know, we have a different Google Doc for each show. So after uh, the show each week, I, you know, like after this show, I'll create the document for 460 uh, and I will unstart. Uh, the the document for 459 and star the one for 460 and then boom it's right there and I can get to it really really quickly and of course since my I use Safari it syncs to all my browsers so I just boom everything is right there where I want it and even in the apps I can go you know on the iOS app or whatever I can go to the starred thing and get right there so it's just one of those tips that I've been probably using for six months and thought I should share this because somebody else might benefit from it and that's what we do so there you go John, you might have one of those that you stumbled onto. Stumble. Yes, I did. All right, Dave. So as you know, you know, I recently had to do a fresh reinstall of my MacBook Pro and and I'm adding things here and there. And one thing that I never really went through fully, but I finally did, but I ran into a roadblock and I shake my fist at Apple because it's their fault. <laughs> Hi, Apple. 
Um, so I was trying to recreate my, I was trying to recreate my signatures in, in mail because I want to, that's probably not a big secret here, but you know, a lot of the, uh, replies that we send for Mackie Gab here are probably canned or somewhat canned replies here, like the signature in the email. Sure. You know, if it's a one type of email, I'll reply saying, you know, thanks for supporting the show. Another would be, you know, prodding you to get a premium subscription, et cetera. But um, normally mail does not have the, the, the mail itself. Mail app does not have the level of detail where you can uh, necessarily break that out. So there's a utility that, that I use called Signature Profiler, which is wonderful. Once you grok how it does what it does, it does it in a kind of convoluted kind of programming way. But once you get it. So the thing is, anyways, Dave, I, I, I dove in because I forgot how I set up Signature Profiler on my, uh, on my old machine. So I actually still have that drive, even though it's faulty and, and it doesn't boot fully. But it still had the mail settings. So I booted that and I got the mail settings. And I'm like, OK, let me go back to my mail signatures and then the additional information that I add with Signature Profiler, which I am going to. Uh, post the link in the chat room. There we go. Um, so once you grok it, it's a great piece of software because it lets me do exactly what I said. I can send one reply to this email address or, or tune, uh, customize a signature so it, it, it ties into what address it was sent to or I'm replying from. But Dave, so I was creating new signatures and then leaving mail and then coming back and they weren't taking hold. And I'm like, okay, not again. <laughs> Because this is kind of how my last machine started spiraling down the path of madness and that I would do things, save them. And then when I open the program again, they would not be saved. And the same thing happened here, Dave. I would create new signatures, quit mail, come back in. They're gone. I'm like, oh, boy. Fortunately, if some of you recall here, I did pretty much a rebuild by hand because it was it was so messed up my mobile documents folder. Now, what, what does that have to do with anything, you may ask? Well, mobile documents is where... I guess currently a lot of iCloud specific stuff is stored. Yep. And so this is in um, your user folder. Uh, so it'd be users, then whatever your username is, and then library within that folder, Dave, is something called mobile documents. And here's what I found. Well, I looked in that folder and specifically, Dave, where is it here? Um, signatures. I'm going to find it. I'm sorry. Okay. So if you look in mobile documents, then in com tilde Apple tilde mail, then data, mail data, signatures. Well, that's the path that's supposed to be there. But I think what happened in my case, Dave, is the, uh, I believe it was one of those subfolders, either data, mail data, or signatures. I think it was signatures. But one of those folders, when I brought it up in my finder, had the red circle with a line through it, which basically means, uh, dude, you don't have permission for this. Go uh, <laughs> Now, you've had this problem before with your mail syncing preferences, mobile documents thing, right? Yeah. So I think this was one that I that was still damaged. And when it brought it from the cloud, now that it saw that I was using it, it brought the damage permissions as far as I can guess, because mm -hmm. basically what happened is once I saw that folder and that it wasn't being uh, and that it had the bad permissions, I basically went to it, did a get info. And in this case, at least, although some of these folders are kind of weird in that mobile documents folder, yeah. this one I was able to get info and it said, OK, well, wheel has or, or system. I think it was wheel or system has read, write and everybody has none. And I'm like, well, what about me? 
Right. It's all about me. Yeah. Right. The thing is, it didn't have an entry. Basically, it didn't have an entry in the permissions for my user account, which seriously appears when you bring it in the permissions window as me. It says me. And I'm like, well, let me add an entry for John Braun, paren, me, <laughs> and say read write. And that fixed the problem. Then my signature is saved. So if you're running into any sort of iCloud wackiness, you got to go to... Uh, the first place to look, at least in my experience, the first place to look is look in mobile documents and make sure that you have permission to write to everything in there. It's still problematic. I mean, I, it, you know, it bothers me that it, it kind of creeped up out of nowhere, though, though I'm glad that since I've been through it once, I was able to find it. Yeah, right, right. So cool. the thing is now my signatures act as they should with Signature Profiler, Dave, and that I'm responding properly because before I would manually select them because I, I didn't have it set up quite right, and that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. that it's. It, see, this is that handy stuff that we just fight with, and it's good to, you know, it's good to share. All right. Uh, jumping to Ray. Ray, uh, Ray. Ray found a great little thing that I had no idea existed. Ray said, I'm not sure whether this has been covered in the past, but I ran into a problem during the installation of iOS 7. But note, this tip will be for all of you that have iOS devices and need a specific piece of information about them. So bear with us here. He says, uh, during the installation of iOS 7 beta on my iPad before installing, I checked whether the device was registered in the developer's site. It was, and I proceeded with the installation. Everything seemed to be going as planned until the iPad came up and said activation error device not registered. It turned out that the device that was registered in the developer site was my old iPad that I had replaced. At this point, all I had was a useless heap of plastic and metal and no way it seemed to determine the UDID, the device identifier of the device. Google searches to remedy the problem were no help. So I went to the developers forum and found the following steps will provide you the UDID, even if you can't get it from iTunes or any other way. Plug your device into your Mac and turn it on. Uh, go to about this Mac, go to more info, click system report in the hardware USB column. You will see the iPad and iPhone serial number and the UDID. And uh, that is an awesome thing, because otherwise you would have to install Xcode to pull this out or dig into like the backups folder and extract it from the folder name or something. Because uh, once you put a beta OS on, it has to be registered. Otherwise, you don't get uh, you have no way of doing that, like in iTunes or anything else. So very cool. I had no idea that the system report that the system profiler, I guess, is what we used to call it, would uh would show you the UDID of your iOS device, but it will, and it will show it to you apparently, even if iTunes won't. And that's handy. Good stuff. I love these tips. It's good. Uh, can you also get this? Hello? Yeah. John, I'm, I'm wondering if there's yes. Hello. Yeah. We seem to be on a weird delay today, but uh, go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Okay. Just delayed. No, I'm just curious if you can also get this value from the iDevice itself. I'm looking in the general... I don't think so. ...part of the settings. I see some stuff. I see an MEID, but I think that... No, that's the, that's your carrier's thing. Right. 
And right. I'm just wondering if you can also get this out of the device itself, because, I mean, it is a device specific. <laughs> That's right. It, yeah. Value. It, I'm just it, not sure where it is. I, I don't I, think I'm almost you can. positive I've, I've stumbled across it. OK. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think but I agree with you in the about. Yeah, that's where it should be, but it's not because I'm looking on mine. It might be if you save. Um, uh, let me look here. Yeah, it might be. Info maybe yeah, if you thinking? go into diagnostics and usage data, I would have to confirm this. But I think if you have automatic diagnostics turned on, which you should, because you get these logs that we're about to tell you about. Uh, you go into settings, general, about, and then at the bottom, diagnostics and usage, and then diagnostics and usage data. The AWDD logs are the logs of this automatically collected data, but there's there can be some interesting information in there. Specifically, it'll tell you about what things we're using, location services, and when, and sometimes you can use that to ferret out what apps might be, say, chewing up your battery or what have you. But I believe the second line of that file, it, which is crash reporter key, I believe that is your device's UDID. I would have to check this, um, but it is the same at, in every uh, one of these logs, and it sure looks like a UDID file. So I, it would be worth confirming, but I believe that is correct. So yes, per perhaps there yeah, is. Yeah, I way. see the same thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I see the same thing. Yeah, it's a hex, big, big wop and hex thing, and I right. think that that may be it. So, yep. So cool. Good. Uh, thinking on your feet there, buddy. Thanks, man. Uh, you know, it's what we do. That's what I was looking for. It has to be. Oh, it has to be. <laughs> it just seems absurd that the only place you can get that is from a computer connected to the device and not right. the device itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, well, the device knows it. It, it. Somebody in the chat room is saying uh, VA Info is an iOS app that uh, that gives a swag okay. of info. So, perhaps. Swag? What's a swag? Um, I, I think it's an Australian way something of big, I guess. saying something very, very big. No. I don't know. I, I'm not finding a <laughs> link to an app, though, other than on Ubuntu or Debian or Linux. So, uh, so perhaps somebody, uh, will find the, the link to that and we'll put that in the show notes for you too. Uh, in show 456, we talked about selecting multiple images on an iPad. Stu says just a quick follow-up to one of the listener tips. You don't have to tap each image individually. You can multi-select by touching one image with two fingers, then without lifting slide over all of the images you want to select. So I think this is a UI quirk that you can leverage to your advantage. Again, it's you tap with one image with two fingers. And I would I would do index fingers on two different hands, assuming uh, you have index fingers on two different hands. Otherwise, pick a different mm -hmm. finger. And then uh, and then you drag one of them without lifting, uh, without moving the other and without lifting either off. Uh, so there you go. Thanks, Stu. Good tips. Larry, take it away, Larry. We've got uh, we've got y'all queued up. Hi, this is a message for the uh, podcast. This is John from Kansas. I just finished listening to podcast that's number four. Not, that's not Larry. Well, all right, we move on. I will find that's Larry. John. I will find Larry for the next show. I'm not sure what happened there. How is you that lost possible? Larry? How can uh, I lose Larry? That's uh, let me let me check one thing. Dare I? 
Yeah, why not? I can dare. I I dare. We will uh we will see if I dragged the wrong thing in. Let's see, do I have the right file here? Come on. This computer's being slow. No. Maybe I have Need nope. some filler here? No, I'm, we're, we're just going to skip it because I don't have it. So uh, so we will go to Kurt, uh, and we will share Larry's tip next time. Okay. Uh, Kurt mm-hmm. says, uh, in Mac Geekab 456, you addressed a question about mapping apps and data plans and or Wi-Fi location data. This is a bit of a tangent, but when traveling in Europe, I always have my iPhone, but never care to pay the price for international data plans. I realized that the Maps app on my iPhone always retained some of the most recently viewed mapping data. I got in the habit of taking advantage of the Wi-Fi at hotels by previewing maps for the areas I was going to be traveling the next day. I wouldn't zoom in too close because I wanted the app to retain at least a general view of everywhere I would be. The next day, when I had no data connection for my iPhone, the GPS would still show my location in whatever maps I had previewed while still at the hotel. There you go. That's a uh, that's a good tip. I you know I would uh, I would share one thing. I wind up when I know that I'm going to be somewhere where I either won't have a data connection or it'll be tough. Like you know we go to concerts a lot, right? And uh, and once you're in a in a arena full of people, even if the even if you're in the middle of a city, a lot of times it's really hard to get data. So if there's something on the web that I have looked up prior, I'll take a screenshot shot of it on my iPhone. And that way it's obviously saved in the camera roll and I can always get back to it even if the web page disappears and I can't reload it because of the data connection. So take advantage of those screenshots when you, uh, you know, when you are on a good connection, snap the pick of whatever data you might need. And then, uh, and then there you go. So that's another way of saving it. John. I have an impromptu tip, Dave. Go. You ready? Yeah. Right. So as you know, I just got the disc, disc station. And it's one of the coolest toys ever. But I, I made an error in um, setting it up for Time Machine. And that I didn't set it up quite right, and we discussed it, you know, and that it's a bit more uh, involved to set things up properly, and that you sure. can do it wrong, and it won't necessarily warn you. But the thing is, I had it set up where I was trying to define multiple Time Machine volumes, and that's not the right way to do it with this device. you got to define a single Time Machine volume. So basically what happened is I had to reconfigure my time machine setup on the two computers that I want to use to back up. And I noticed this dialogue, Dave, which maybe we've seen in the past, but not everybody has listened to us forever. So I thought I'd bring it up again, Dave, is that so I was changing the time machine destination and I got a dialogue, which I believe is only in the latest OS. And it said, oh, do you want to replace the backup disk, blah, 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 or backup to both disks? That's right. And then I think I I think I remember in the back of my mind we had talked about this, but just the fact that it did this, it's like, oh, you're changing your destination for Time Machine. Maybe you want to alternate between the two, and that's basically what the dialogue said. And I'm like, dude, that's so cool. Yeah, I've never personally seen it before until now, and basically my answer was no. But it's kind of neat because I think the question has come up in the past is, well, what if I want to do this? But it's really handy if you've got. It's kind of neat to see Apple. If you've got Time Machine at home and at work, it's nice to be able to have both discs. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's the scenario that we've heard from people is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not always in the same place when I do time machine, but I'd like to, you know, whenever I'm near a time machine uh, to, to back up to it. So it sounds like they've, they've put in, you know, a feature here that that's smart enough to maybe not, you know, throw up its hands when it can't find what you're looking for and instead say, oh, well, that one's not here. Well, let me let me see if the other one's here. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was kind of neat that explicitly came up in the OS saying, hey, you want me to alternate between the two or do you really want to force using the new one? No. And that's a, it's yeah. a good reminder. So I, fun. I had forgotten about that. That's right. Yeah. Now it's good stuff. All right, I fixed. We fixed our Skype problem there. That was driving me crazy. That's that's how we roll. Uh, yeah, but yeah, no, the the it's that's uh, cool stuff, man. So, so you were so you had the problem this time, kind of like the problem I had last time or a couple of episodes ago, where I could barely hear you. Actually, but I had we to could struggle through it. We could hear you fine for whatever reason. There was a lag uh, between uh, between hmm. us that that Skype just did not want to automatically fix. So we just hung up and recalled, and it's all. But apparently all good. It feels like I'm actually talking to you now as opposed to talking to you in the past or something. I don't know. Awesome. And yeah. Dave, that's an awesome troubleshooting tip. If if nothing else works, just shut everything down and start over. Try it again. That's right. <laughs> to me, it's almost like throwing in the towel, but sometimes you got to throw in the towel. Well, listen, Admit when it. it's wait, that's not throwing it. I mean, that that's actually a very specific thing, right? We we narrowed it down. I think this is where the problem is. We Turn that off. We turned it back on and, and problem gone. Now, why the problem exists, we could speculate all day. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's what I'm saying, though. Yeah, so, you know, right. we, we could spend a lot of time trying to diagnose the root issue. But well, it started when I solve the problem. It started when my computer was doing a massive upload and and it never quite caught itself back. So, yeah, it's I'm sure it was something about core audio on here. Just got foobard. So foobard. Right. Yeah. Where are we? Fouled up beyond all recognition. Uh, we are on Chris. Chris said uh, uh, he actually sent us a little bug report for the Mac Geek Cab app. And it was really nice because he not only took a screenshot, which was great, but he drew a little circle around the part of the screenshot that he would want to draw our attention to. And he said, uh, I did this with Bugshot, a new app from Marco Arment. And uh, it's available, obviously, in iTunes. And he says, I used Bugshot to mark up the screenshot above quickly from my iPhone. And uh, and sure enough, there it is. It is a uh, it is. I think it's 99 cents. Yeah, it's 99 cents. So Bugshot, there you go. You can also use Skitch to do this, which is freely available from the Evernote folks. It works a little bit differently and may or may not be exactly what you want. But uh, try out Bugshot, try out Skitch. It's it's good stuff. It is good. Right. Yeah. All right. And uh, and one last little tip before we move into question land here. Uh, well, Scott will introduce himself. Hey, John and Dave. Uh, I was just listening to episodes. So this is Scott in D.C. I was just listening to episodes 456, 456, not one, two, three this time, but four, five, six. And you were answering Wally at, um, uh, uh, regarding using BitTorrent, et cetera, and how to get around work issues. I know you caveated it, Dave, but let me step in because this is my, my world, the security world. Everybody in security is on edge these days for a lot of different reasons. 
if your company says no to something, don't try to find a way around it. Because if you do, company policies are written as such today that disciplinary actions will result in your being fired. If your company doesn't allow it, just don't. There are ways around it. Yes, I can find my ways around it. If your company says no VPNs, then don't do a VPN. If your company says no tour, don't do tour. If your company doesn't want BitTorrent, don't do BitTorrent. Just don't. Is your job worth getting fired over? I don't know. You know, you may not like your job and it may be okay if you got fired, but you know, just remember the job market is only marginally better than it was last year and only marginally better than the year before that. So, because if you try it and you think you're going to outsmart your IT guy, don't. There are plenty of us out there who know what we're doing, who can figure out that you're, you're trying to do tour, that you're trying to do BitTorrent. BitTorrent's easy because BitTorrent's a lot of little TCP packets going all over the place. And all you have to do is profile that. If you're doing a VPN, all we have to do is figure out that you're doing VPN protocols. And, and then if you're not authorized to do VPN, then something is going on and we're going to come and question you on it. We can profile networks a whole lot better than you could think of how to go around them. And if we find that there's something wrong, we're going to come after you. Don't risk your job. Just go home, do your own BitTorrent, go home, do your own tour, go home, do whatever you want from your home computer. Don't use your company's computer. This is coming from somebody who, who works on the enforcement side of a lot of different situations. I have seen a lot of different things. I have even testified in court as, a, as an expert witness. You will get caught. And remember, this is what they tell you. Don't get caught. Well, I will tell you that if you do this, you will get caught. I'm going to get off my soapbox now and go finish listening to the rest of the show. Remember, <laughs> don't get caught. Have a nice day. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, good advice. Uh, yeah, it, it, bypassing your company's rules could have more consequences than just getting you back on your home VPN when you want to get on your home VPN. It's not, not bad advice at all. Uh, I take of the grain of salt though. Really? In that you don't want to be cavalier at the workplace though, but the, to the people that sign the checks. Uh-huh. Well, let me present it with a different lens here, Dave. So, okay. so I have a, it sounds like Scott has a, you know, career in this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more on the user side than the IT enforcement side, but I have worked with IT people in the past here. Yep. And I would say you, you want to step back sometimes and, and look at the reason why you as a user want to do what you want to do. Now, I understand with a competent IT staff, yes, they, they can and will. Well, no, they, they may not because I, I've broken the rules a number of times and no one came after me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> well, that's because you followed the prime directive. Don't get caught. Right. And the, the, so I'm not encouraging people to break the rules here. But what, what I'm instead saying is that if you have a good reason for doing what you want to do, like running BitTorrent or running Tor or running a VPN, then rather than just disregarding the instruction of IT people, you may want to have a discussion. Now, check this out, okay? Have a discussion with them. And I've done this in the past because 
my observation, Dave, is that uh, IT, uh, IT departments are not perfect and they have certain goals. So just because there's a rule or policy in place doesn't mean it's right. Sure. No, maybe that's you, actually maybe a really you good want point. St- yeah. Maybe you want to step forward and change it. I remember a number of times where I saw something that the IT people are doing, and they typically are conservative and, and want to protect company assets and all that great stuff. Yep. But sometimes you may put something in place that prevents people from doing their job. Now, the way to deal with this are as follows. One, you could break the rules. Or number two, you could approach IT and say, hey, you know, I found this really cool new tool. Um and yes, I realize I'm not an IT person. I'm maybe a software engineer or some other discipline. But hear me out. You know, this could make our job easier. Yeah. No, that's great. And if that's you have great an advice. IT, and, it, yeah. and if you have an IT group that that is 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 focused on customer satisfaction and security and stuff like that, they may say, "Oh, yeah. You know, I heard about it. like for example, like BitTorrent is a great thing. Uh, great example. BitTorrent has typically been." you know, relegated to the, you know, uh, pirates and, you know, people breaking the law and stuff. But as I think we pointed out in a recent episode, Dave, BitTorrent has many valid uses. Sure. So rather than saying, well, we're not going to allow it never, ever, ever. Oh, well, in this case, maybe we will. Or, or same thing with Tor or, or doing yeah. so many other things. So. No, that's that's great uh, advice. I, it, it, it Yeah. If you have a valid reason to do something, obviously talk to your IT staff or your supervisor or both and, and sort it out. No, that's good advice. All right. Uh, our first sponsor for the show is Barebones software at barebones.com with BB edit. BB edit is the uh, world-class text editor. This thing uh, will do anything you want it to in terms of editing, finding, manipulating, text uh we've uh, longtime listeners have heard us talk about it before of course uh it's great for programmers um but it's really great for anyone uh you know i use it all the time to do word counts i use it to sort text um i use it to uh you know the latest version 10.5 has a new item in the search menu say that that's called compare against previous version so it remembers the old versions you have of these files and you can say, hey, wait a minute, what changes have I made since I last saved this document? And it will tell you. And that's really handy. The other thing you can do is you can uh, open up two text documents and go to the search menu in BB edit and say compare two front most documents and it will uh, compare them and show you a line by line comparison. And you actually can scroll through that. And see the differences. It will show you both files side by side uh, right there on your screen. It's really super handy for, you know, comparing things and figuring out. And it's a it's visual, right? You could do it from the command line with with stuff like diff. But I don't know about you that I hate this with BB edit. I love. And speaking of the command line, while we're in, you know, sort of ADD mode here, uh, you can make BB edit. You can invoke BB edit from the terminal. So if you are a, uh, a, a terminal savvy uh, type of person, or if you want to be one thing that can be really complex from the terminal is text editors and editing files. You might get stuck in a piece of software called like VI or Emacs. And, and if you know them, they're great. And if you don't know them, you might not even be able to quit out of them, let alone edit text the way you want. Well, if you have BB edit, you can, instead of typing VI or Emacs from the command line, you can type BB edit and the name of your file, and it will open 
in BB edit where you can use the mouse and the menus and you can do all the searching and it's just a normal BB edit file at that point. Really, really handy stuff. I highly recommend you try it out. It is one of those pieces of software that is open 100% of the time on my computer. Uh, and I wind up using it for all sorts of things. So, uh, so check it out. They do have a free trial. Of course, uh, you can go to barebones.com and check that out there. When you're ready to buy, you can buy from them uh, or you can buy from the Mac app store. Either one, it's your choice. Uh, it's 50 bucks in both places. Well, 49 99. And, uh, and if you happen to buy it from the Mac app store, of course they can't in, they can't bundle in uh, terminal programs uh, with the Mac app store version because of the way the licensing works, but you can get that for free and you just get that right from, uh, from barebones.com and it will integrate with the version that you bought at the Mac app store and just totally work. So, uh, so check it out. It's, uh, it's BB edit from barebones software at barebones.com. And, uh, I think you'll be glad you did. All right, John, take us to Brian. If you would, please. I'm glad I did Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Taking it to Brian. So Brian writes us and says, Dave and John, Mavericks is on the horizon, and I have two machines still on Snow Leopard. I believe Apple's policy is that when Mavericks ships, Snow Leopard support ceases. Help me understand what problems I may run into if I decided not to upgrade to Mountain Lion. I did upgrade to Mountain Lion on my MacBook Pro, and after three months, I still miss Snow Leopard. I use all three machines for work using Dropbox and Microsoft Exchange, Mail, and Calendars. I sync my contacts via Google. Thanks. And uh, here's, John. here's what I had to say, Dave. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're the one that's going to answer this, right? Yeah. Oh, and I'm seeing things bounce on my screen here. It's oh, like, cut it cool. out. All right. So basically, yeah. AD, ADD Sorry. mode. Right. Squirrel. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I like squirrels. I got a good squirrel video. Can I share it with you? Please no, hey, you know, put a link question. in the show notes. Wait, wait, no. I want to hear about your squirrel video. No, go ahead. <laughs> so what I said to Brian is, yes, from what I've seen, Apple will actively support operating systems going back two versions from the current one. And as an example, if you look online, you can see this now in that, uh, for example, if you look on Snow Leopard, you will see that there is a security update. The most recent thing they released for Snow Leopard is a security update uh, dated July 2nd, 2013. So uh, it's true that they typically go back two versions. Um, the other comment I had is one reason to upgrade from Snow Leopard to at least Lion is that you'll get some level of iCloud support. You can, of course, access many features of iCloud via web interface, but it sounds like that, in his case, isn't a concern, but I thought I'd bring it up anyways. For others who are considering the same issue here, what, what, are the, what is the impact? Um, but I did find an article that will try to steer you um, over at CNET. I found an article that will try to let you get the most that you can out of Snow Leopard and iCloud if you still choose to take this path. Mm. Is this it uh, from the Mac Fix It section? Yeah, it is. It's from Topher Kessler. That's good. Yep, he yep. knows what he's doing. Yep. Really? You know, I got to say, I've seen a number of articles from him. I don't think I've ever met him or seen yeah. him travel in our circles or... You know, I, I agree with that. Macworld saying, hey, dude, yeah, but yeah. I see the guy's name on a lot of articles. Yeah. So. Uh, hey, buddy. Yep. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, and we'll, of course, link to it and give him credit. Uh, but I, I've also noted that Dave, uh, in general, uh, 
or to everybody, not just Dave. But um, the other thing I've noticed too, Dave, is that uh, app developers, so something to consider with your choice of operating system is people that develop applications uh, using Xcode, probably, on the Mac, um, you're given a choice a lot of times when you create a program what OS or OS is to target. And the thing is, as you start to target older or more OSs, the problem is you have to deal with the fact that Apple or others, mostly Apple, uh, may not offer some features in certain OSs. So what does that mean? That means extra work for the developer. Now, the developer could either decide, well, let me get a workaround in for this feature that is readily available in future OSs, or you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to not support OS 10.3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you got to keep that in mind. And, and the thing is, it does happen. Developers have to decide how they want to spend their time. Do they want to spend time adding cool new features or supporting old crusty operating systems <laughs> to kind of <laughs> flavor it with my opinion here. And the thing is, at some point you got to give up. So that, that was my advice to him. And uh, is that what you have in place sounds like it's working. Everything's cool, but keep in mind that it'll get worse now that Apple has forced this upgrade. Yeah. And he actually wrote back to me saying, you know, I hadn't really thought about the app thing. Uh, so again, that was my comment to him. If everything that you have right now is cool and works and you're not going to add anything, then you're golden. But as soon as you want to add this app or that app or this prep pane or whatever, then you're going to be in trouble. So that's that's my spin on it. No, that's it. That, I hadn't really thought of that either, John. That's a really good point that, uh, you know, it is unless you have a very specific purpose for that machine. And what you're doing with it will never, the needs that you have for that machine will never change. Then, uh, you know, if that's the case, well, then fine. You know, you'd stick with the apps you have, the OS it you have. It ain't broke. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, 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 that goes to fix it, it or don't fix it because then you'll break it. Yeah. If it ain't broke, fix it till it is. Right. Um, <laughs> hey, that, that phrase made me a lot of money for years. Uh, no, no, no. Seriously. Uh, but if there's things that you want to keep doing with it, uh, new things uh, or even apps that you want to upgrade, a lot of times, you know, upgrade versions. Apple really encourages developers to not worry about supporting apps or uh, OS versions that they don't even support anymore. So it and and of course, like John said, they they put in all those feet, all these new features. And the only way to get them is to build for just the new OS. So, yeah. No, it's it's good. All right, John, take us to uh, take us to Byron, because this is yet. An, I, you know, I know that you're, you've had this trail going on with Byron via email for a while, and it was this very esoteric kind of one person thing. But the answer that uh, you shared with him today uh, or recently, I should say, I'm not sure if it was today or not, uh, is one of those things that everybody should be aware of. So go. <sighs> oh, gosh. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I have it here. Open a new window. I don't know why I'm running into these problems with preview. Apple, it's your fault. All right. So. Yeah. So you want to summarize just real quickly. Here we go. So basically, Byron wrote me. And yeah. So the initial communication. <laughs> I'll condense. Yes, please. Quite a bit. So basically, Byron, like me, is a fan of Kensington input devices. Um, and he has a, a device that. A mouse, mouse-like device 
instead of a trackball device, which I have, but a mouse-like device, which in the past was supported by some software that Kensington released called Mouseworks. Well, that's all fine and good, but the problem is they kind of abandoned it. They kind of, you know, <laughs> threw it to the side of, the, they threw it in a ditch and just forgot about it. It was, uh-huh. it was terrible. No, they basically abandoned it, which to me is a, a somewhat upsetting in that the last, the most recent version of Mouseworks, which was the control panel or pref pane or whatever you want to call it, that talked to their mouse products or older mouse products was PowerPC. Well, as you all know, PowerPC software is really not the way to go <laughs> on the current Mac and that it won't work. So what are you going to do? So I responded to him with a suggestion. So it looks like, so, so the thing is, Mouseworks was, uh, from what I saw, pretty much encompassed many of their products and that you install Mouseworks and it not only talked to the mice, but it talked to trackballs and other input devices. I'm like, well, I heard that ended, but you know what? They came out with something newer. And the thing is, the reason I got kind of excited about this, Dave, is that I have a current Kensington device on my desk right now. I'm looking at it. and It's looking back at me. That's weird. Has a glowing red LED, which is almost like Cylon like, and I'm getting kind of frightened. But no, it's called an expert mouse, and it's a USB input device. It's a trackball with a scroll ring and four buttons, and it's cool. And then I was like, oh, you know what? The thing is, you can either use this device, Dave, as, as just a regular input device and, and rely on the controls that OS X offers you, or what I found out doing a little research is that they offer a new piece of software, Dave, called trackball works <clears throat> now thing is when i ran trackball works so i used to run mouse works so i didn't really feel a need to but i ran trackball works and it said hey hi expert mouse how are you you know this is cool and i'm like oh maybe that'll work for him well they'll go the thing is i was hoping that they wouldn't totally abandon their you know faithful customers from the past and not include this device because they certainly could technically, but they didn't. So right. that made me sad. Then However, is, you so, found you found some things that may not only help him, but may help anyone with a third party mouse. Not one, but two products, Dave. So I found. Yes. Yeah, so then I dug further because, Dave, that's what we do it's for the listeners. Do. So I found two things. So one is something which uh, I think is a more popular package. But it's called USB Overdrive. It is a general USB device driver that will, from what they say, detect all these extraneous little kind of cool features of some of these devices, like a scroll wheel or four buttons or whatever, and try to give you a mapping to a function that's useful for you. So USB Overdrive is the one product. And then the other one that I found and I wrote back to him on is something called Steer Mouse. And I believe USB Overdrive, I think, is open source. And I think Steermouse is uh, kind of shareware-like and that you can try it and see if it works for you. But um, both of these products came to my attention because there are so many people out there that are in the same situation as, you know, I got this old hardware. Um, the software is not keeping up or it's PowerPC and I can't get it. What do I do? Yeah. And to me, Dave, that's... Now, I don't know about you. What, what's your history with, a, I, I don't know if you're a Turbo Mouse or Expert Mouse fan, or or uh, have you run into this, Dave, where you had older input devices that you just love to death all of a sudden I, I <laughs> not have be this, supported? And what do you do? I, I As far as mice go, I actually go back and forth. I have uh, an Apple 
magic trackpad that I keep to the right of my keyboard. And I have an Apple magic mouse that I keep to the left of my keyboard. And uh, years ago, I taught myself how to use the mouse with, with my left hand. Um, and, and the game, I, I learned how to do it with a game. Now, this is going to go way back. Pre-OS 10, pre-OS 9, pre-OS 8, pre-OS 7, OS 6.0.5, Shuffle Puck was the app. And uh, I played Shuffle Puck <laughs> for a day with my, uh, and Shuffle Puck was uh, essentially like a, you know, a, a shuffleboard kind of air hockey game is really what it was. But it was a perfect way to learn how to use the mouse with my left hand. And because we're in ADD mode, uh, the reason was I was doing a lot of page layout work at the time when I was working for Citibank the first time. And I realized I could type faster with my right hand than my left hand. And so I would watch myself bounce my right hand between the mouse and the keyboard while my left hand sat there doing nothing. And I thought, well, this is stupid. So I, I went through this process for a day or two, got myself pretty accustomed to the, and my left hand's always been pretty dexterous anyway. Maybe it's because I'm a drummer or maybe that's the reason I'm a drummer. I don't know, but, uh, but it didn't take very long. So, uh, I wait till the battery dies in whatever one I am using, which would, you know, right now is the trackpad. And then uh, I bounce to the mouse for X number of weeks until that battery dies. And then I bounce back to the trackpad and I go back and forth and it keeps me from developing any sort of repetitive stress injuries and, and all of that good stuff. So uh, between them, though, is a keyboard and it is a Logitech keyboard. And I have been very, very uh, it, it's a an infrared keyboard. So it has a special little dongle that then plugs into USB and uh, I do need special software for it. And it sort of works without the special software, but it's not perfect. But uh, I really just love this keyboard. So uh, so I, I am dreading the day when I have to head down this path, John, because the software doesn't work with whatever. And uh, I have not tested it with Mavericks yet, so I, I couldn't tell you. So but I, I do like the trackpad and, and the mouse, you know, the magic mouse with the touch surface, because it lets me do all those cool things in the OS that you folks with the third party mice are totally uh, it's just not even part of your workflow. And because I have a, a MacBook Air, I'm used to a lot of the swiping and pinching on the trackpad there. So it's nice to have that at my iMac. So uh, it is RF. Sorry, a Kiwi Graham in the chat room asked, is it infrared or RF? And I was 100% wrong. It was it is radio. It is not IR. Sorry. Thanks for the catch. It is one of the best things about the chat room. There are many good things about the chat room, John. But one of the best things is it saves you, the listener, from having to wait an entire week for us to issue corrections on silly little things that we misstep or misspeak uh, because you folks catch me or and us. It's good. I just I just put out a plate of cookies for the chat room. Oh, you're awesome. You know what we're going to do for the chat room? Are we done with this question, John? I think so. Okay. No, thanks for your input. No, because yeah. we have so many people that have so many different devices. I mean, we can never cover them all but i think these these two drivers yeah it's sort know. of this generic stuff yeah. yeah it's good uh so uh sebastian is in the chat room and when we started talking about the prior question with brian with the snow leopard upgrade he's like whoa i sent one of these in like you know five hours ago which i hadn't seen because i left the house early this morning and didn't show up until about 20 minutes until showtime uh we dropped my son off at two weeks of camp today so it's always a tough day what type of camp uh just a summer sleepover sleepaway camp kind of thing you know, just uh, he'll no, do no theme. Just um, it's it's a very traditional uh, camp. So he has no electronics. Um, it's in the woods. They sleep in cabins. 
They'll go sailing. They'll play, you know, all kinds of different sports. They do arts and crafts if they want. They, the kids kind of can choose their own path through through this. But uh, but it is one of the oldest camps, uh, at least in New England and perhaps in the country and and quite well, well oh. respected. Um, OK, yeah, no, it, I just find it funny because uh, one time when I was hanging with my buddy Kenny here. Yeah. And I remember we a bunch of us, uh, you know, we did a, a Manhattan photo shoot mm-hmm. and stuff and we eventually ended up at our usual haunt i think an irish place and uh i was like oh yeah i remember back when i was a kid i went to camp calumet up in new hampshire and they're like Uh. camp calumet the thing is other people in our group had actually sent their kids it was a uh, or still is as far as i know a lutheran okay uh, you know yeah back when you know i was a kid my parents were like yeah you you go off to uh camp calumet it was part of the lutheran church and stuff and it was an awesome camp up in uh, new hampshire yeah awesome Okay. Like yeah. Ossipy. So yeah, the, the camp that my son is at is, uh, on the other, on the, the slightly larger lake, uh, oh. in New Hampshire called Winnipesaukee, but yeah, oh, it was those guys. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So, but Ossipy is where we go for our family camp. Every Labor Day, we go to a, it's actually a girl's camp the rest of the summer, but they, on Labor Day weekend, they do a, um, uh, you know, a family camp and it's awesome. Cause it's exactly the same thing. And we only do it for four days, but, um, you know, it's you get to do sailing and and arts and crafts and you sing Kumbaya around the campfire. Mm-hmm. And it's so <laughs> now, dude, it, it I, I mean, I, we laugh at it, too. Uh, and this but this will be our fifth year there as a family. And uh, uh, but it, it's it's fantastic because it is this break. It brings the whole family together, which is a, a good thing, you know, especially at the end of the summer. But, um, you know, it's just nice to to totally like shun the electronics and and I mean, when we go on like cruises and stuff, we turn off our phones, but we're still very much in this electronic world, you know, whereas sure. at, at camp, there's nothing. I mean, well, there's power there, but if the power went out, we wouldn't care. We There's you know, we rarely use it. Maybe we turn on a light in the cabin at night as we're like getting our stuff ready for bed. But otherwise, it's, you know, that's it. You know, Dave, I remember way back at this camp, Camp Calumet. And yeah. I think one of the places that I shine, Dave, and I think this uh, may be a. Uh, prelude to what i'm doing now is i remember they would have a daily um well one we would have like the camp calumet you know newsletter sure so people got involved in generating i think a a newsletter i think it was weekly or maybe you know a couple of times a week and i think i was involved with that because it involved computers and printing stuff and generating news but then the other thing they had is every day someone would get to read the camp news ah on a microphone yeah. And I'm almost positive I was one of the people, either by rotation or because I had such a stellar speaking voice. There you right? go. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. But I still remember myself speaking into a microphone. Maybe it was a D104. I don't know. And if you, if you listen to this and you know what a D104 is, hats off to you because that's a splendid mic. Right, Dave? Yeah. Or at least for RF people. For radio people, a D104 is a, is a or the lollipop. But I remember that. That was so much fun is I spoke to the masses. Yeah. Back then, Dave. Right. Oh, that's cool. Back on track. Camp Calumet <laughs> is not far at all. It's in Freedom, New Hampshire, which is right where this uh, Huckins, where we go for our family camp uh, every year is. So it's uh, that's funny. It's interesting. 
All right. Uh, anyway, uh, where was I? Sebastian in the chat room said, whoa, you know, you uh, you oh, you're almost answering my question. Uh, so I figure we'll read Sebastian's question right here. Sebastian's a premium listener and uh, it's related to what we're talking about. So no reason to wait a week. Here we are. He says both my iMac 24 inch mid 2007 and my wife's 15 inch MacBook Pro late 2008 are still on Snow Leopard. They're both working fine for what we need them. And we're both using iPads for more and more things. I know I'm missing out on iCloud stuff, and there are just a few newer bits of software that I'm finding now won't support Snow Leopard, but no showstoppers yet. I'm normally only one upgrade behind every other OS anyway, so technically not yet behind, but I'm aware Mavericks uh, is just around the corner. And while our hardware is reportedly supported in the iMac in particular, it seems pretty much uh, on the minimum side and therefore could drop off by release. I don't think that will happen. Uh, I think if they've got it in the hardware list now, it will stay there. Uh, but he says, I'd like to keep the machines on the same OS version for ease of troubleshooting and support. So it seems I have three options. One leave as is and accept there may be few software limitations, uh, but it is not broken yet. Number two, upgrade to mountain lion or number three, wait for Mavericks. Obviously, two and three would undoubtedly benefit from RAM upgrades. Both are on two gigs currently. But given the age of the machines, I'm wondering if it's worth the hassle. Perhaps just keep them as they are until one or the other dies and then hardware upgrade and take the new OS. Then Uh, I will say this. I think um, jumping from Snow Leopard to Mountain Lion, which is a Effectively, what I did with this computer that I use here in the studio, which is about the same vintage iMac. It has a little bit more RAM, but uh, but it's about the same vintage. I, I was on Lion for a brief period of time, about two weeks, uh, which was horrible, by the way. But uh, but jumping from Snow Leopard to Mountain Lion on this Core 2 Duo machine was a was fine. And and so I would at the very least do that. Um, and then. I would say wait until, you know, mountain lion's gotten pretty mature. It's gotten pretty stable. Uh, it works quite well. I would jump up to mountain lion, uh, for you and do that this summer. Uh, and then I think uh, you got to check the dates. And, and like I said, we didn't prep this question. So, uh, you may be able to qualify for some sort of, you know, free upgrade to Mavericks down the road, but, uh, but I would, I would go to mountain lion on these machines and that way you're up to date with where you are now. And you kind of deal with any of those issues. Uh, and that way you're not tempted to upgrade these older machines to Mavericks on day one. When newer machines, I would think you're going to be fine on day one with Mavericks. Older machines, one of the things that tends to get a lot better very quickly post-release, you know, point one, point two versions of the OS is speed uh, and efficiency. So, you know, with these older machines, especially if it's a little bit RAM starved, my advice would be wait until, you know, so Mavericks is going to be 10.9. So I would wait till 10.9.2 maybe to uh, to upgrade an older machine because that way they will have worked out some of the kinks with the older stuff that they probably don't do a lot of testing internally with um, or certainly not as much as they would with with, you know, as with the, the latest hardware. So there's my advice for you, uh, uh, Sebastian. So hopefully that hopefully that helps. And and you're in the chat room, so you can you can tell me. But yeah, do you have any thoughts, John? More RAM, more hard drive. Yeah. Yeah, more RAM is a is a pretty easy thing. Yeah, yeah. 
but I'm, I'm still happy. You know, I still run a lot of core two duo machines, uh, at, at the house in the office here. And you know, they're, they're fine with, with mountain lion. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't sweat it. Yo. Yeah. All I'll say is you can have, you can never have too much Ram or hard drive, but you can certainly have too little. That reminds me of that Saturday night live where they said, uh, you can never put too much water in a nuclear reactor. And then they left and the people couldn't figure out if that meant don't put too much in or, <laughs> you know, they could, they never knew. And so they didn't put any in and it all blew up. So what John meant is put lots of Ram in. There's no harm in that. And that there's no harm in getting more than you think you need. That's right. And if you think you need a certain amount, maybe multiply it by two or four or six or eight or 10 or Whatever bonus multiplier you choose, Dave. I like four. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Choose a, I, I like the multiplier 5.75. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, you want to, you, you want to take us out with, uh, we got time for one more question. Why don't you do Michael? Uh, and Michael is the one that I should have. coming you sure it's coming i found the transcript from that saturday night live thing so we'll go ahead and put that in uh, <laughs> you know it's okay i think it was bill murray right that said that and then left anyway ah uh, let's see here is this the right michael here we go yes i think it is hi guys just wondering whether you can clear something up for me. I'm about to buy an iFi SD card for the following use case. Number one, taking photos of my camera and when the camera slash iFi card comes into range of my Wi-Fi network, it sends the photos to my Mac. Situation number two, or I can access my photos on my camera from my Mac without having to change to the card's Wi-Fi network. This is the situation I am dealing with at the moment because I got talked into buying hmm, a Transcend Wi-Fi card, which requires switching the Mac to the card's network and then launching my web browser so I can access the photos at 109.168. Blah blah. I would find the latter rather annoying and certainly slower than plugging in via USB. <laughs> but my wife would... Make me sleep on the couch again if I presented her with that workflow. Well, so Dave, I think we're being brought in here as a marital consultants, not only technical <laughs> consultants. But I would say the, so my response was as follows. Hi, Michael. I haven't had any experience with the Transcend card, but it certainly has a more convoluted workflow than my iFi. The iFi Pro X2 is currently acting Oh, I'm, I'm talking about my personal problems. I'm sorry. But so right now I have problems with my uh, Wi-Fi acting up. But last I checked, it offered the flexibility of either joining the same Wi-Fi network that your Mac is on and downloading the new photos to a folder on your Mac. But also, um, last I checked, they offer a feature where you can take the iFi card or, or the camera with the iFi card and beam it directly into an iOS device. So that's option number two. 
So I would say in general, um, the iFi modes are certainly, unless I'm missing something, Dave, uh, transcend just the, uh, I'm going to guess it's probably due to patents and stuff like that. Transcend did a different model and it just doesn't sound as friendly. If you're technical and you get IP addresses and stuff, then yeah. Otherwise, iFi is the way to go, in my opinion. All right. Yeah, I, I agree. We've had good good luck with the iFi stuff. The one thing I will point out is I would not advise getting an iFi card as your only memory card for your camera unless a hundred percent of the time you plan to use it as the thing that syncs immediately to your laptop or your, um, your iOS device. And it can be really cool to have this camera with, you know, a killer lens and great glass. And, uh, you know, you take a picture and boom, immediately it's on your iPhone so that you can share it and do all that. That's awesome. However, it comes at a cost and the cost is battery life, not only battery life for your iPhone, but specifically battery life for your camera and where it gets really costly is when you're not doing this auto syncing thing, but you're just using it like a memory card and it will burn through your battery like five times faster than you would expect to burn through it otherwise. So, mm. uh, so it, but, but that makes sense, right? It, because the way it works is once you take a picture, you, um, and you have to set all this up in advance, but uh, the you know once once it's all set up, the way the workflow works is you take a picture, and as soon as a picture is saved to the iFi card, it lights up its own wireless network, and then your phone is pre-configured by you to connect to this network. Running the iFi app, it sucks down the pictures and shuts down, and then the network shuts down once that connection is over. Uh, if your phone's not there or your phone's not being used in that way the camera still lights up the Wi-Fi network for, I think 30 seconds and maybe that's configurable, but it lights it up for some period of time after you take every single picture. So just bear that in mind. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, the iFi stuff is awesome. It's, you know, it's very, very cool. So. Yeah. I'm with you. You brought up a good point because the thing is, I mean, dude, just the fact that they got a Wi-Fi radio in that thing and, and in my yeah. testing, I think it can go probably, you know, Wi-Fi advertises 300 feet. I, I think I, I I've think gotten go my Wi-Fi card. I think I've gotten the Wi-Fi card if, if I get things set up just right and click my heels three times and do a, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever. I think I've gotten 100 feet. Wow. On the extreme. In, yeah. in the clear. But, but no, you bring up a great point because... It takes power to power a Wi-Fi radio. Yes. And so I'm just reflecting that it's amazing. They fit a radio in the size of that card. But no, it, 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 Dave, the thing I do is every camera I've ever bought, I have at least three batteries. That's smart. Yeah. That's if you're good buying advice. a digital camera, dude, any dude or dudette listening to this, if you're going to, if you're going to rely on the battery that came with your camera, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> Buy three batteries. Yeah, at two least three, two. Right? But you're right. Yeah, no, no, that's that's it. Yeah, Because they're all stupid proprietary batteries right now right. is my fish shake at the industry. Why not? I can't remember. I, I think I have one camera, Dave, from way back, maybe seven, eight years ago, that actually took normal batteries. Now everybody's like, oh, we're going to have our own battery. Yeah. Yeah. That's Annoying. true. 
They, yeah, they did used to take their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, whatever. No, I have an old Nikon that took double A's, but yeah, that's not important. What's important, Dave, is how to get in touch with us, I think. And if you want to get in touch with us, Dave, I I think email is probably probably the best way to go, don't you think? Well, you can email us at feedback at macgeekab.com. But Dave, I, I, I don't think you were very clear on that because... Uh, I don't know if I heard you right. I thought I heard you say feedback at MacGeekApp.com. Is that right? Feedback at MacGeekApp.com is exactly right. So you can do that. No. You can also find us on Twitter, as Brian Monroe in the chat room says. Uh, yep, on Twitter, you are John F. Braun. Uh, the show is MacGeekApp. The website is Mac Observer. Pilot Pete's the other guy in the chat room here, uh, among many others. And uh, and I'm Dave Hamilton over on uh, over on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, too. John, how would they find us on Facebook? If you want to find us on Facebook, you would go to Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. It couldn't be simpler. Well, it could be. Well, it could be if we did MGG, but then the, then the people would be confused. That's so right. I'm going to err on the side of being explicit in that you want to go to Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. You can also... Notifications about the chat room. That's and right. when these events happen, if you're into the chat room, Dave, and what's that about? The chat room is at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. In fact, it's up all the time. And I do occasionally find uh, listeners popping in there. But when it really heats up, of course, is when we're live streaming the show, well, we, which we do every time we record it. Uh, and as John said, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Google+, uh, we post the events for this so you can join in and know when the uh, when the next recording is happening. Uh Two last ways of getting in touch with us. Number one, you can download the Mac Geek Gab app, which we mentioned in passing during the episode. Uh, this app will, among other things, allow you to send feedback to us. And if it's about a particular episode and you do it while you're listening to the episode, it'll actually mark the email that we get with where in the episode you were, the chapter name, all of that good stuff. So check out the Mac Geek Gab app. And one last thing, John, the phone number, 206-666-GEEK, which is... 4335 4335 is right. All right, and with that it is time to uh, to move on here. But we do want to thank Michael Johnston. I mentioned those shows with chapters. He is the one that takes what we have just done here and adds the uh, chapters and links and all of that stuff for your benefit and pleasure. So uh, thank you, Michael Johnston. He is also the host of We Have Communicators, a fantastic podcast I encourage you to listen to. And uh, publishes getappler.com. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com is uh, responsible for all the bandwidth uh, from getting the podcast from us to you. The podcast marketplace, as we mentioned, includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander and PDF Pen from Smile, Gazelle.com to sell off all your old and used Apple stuff. Uh, and Warby Parker uh, is where John and I got those glasses we mentioned recently. MGG is your coupon code to get free expedited shipping all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, I do have a piece of advice, though. I know we're at the end of the show, but but there was one thing I have on the list here that I just hadn't shared yet, and that is... Really? Yeah. It's really important, too. Don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.